This is Play-By-Play Cast. Is that faster than a greyhound? The podcast about play-by-play guys. For play-by-play guys, by I'm told, a play-by-play guy. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. Now here's the host of Play-by-Play Cast, Todd Bodet. <laughs> Wait, the Motel 6 guy? We'll leave the light on for you. No, Joel Godet. Joe Godet. Joel. Joe. Joel? Joel, with an L. Okay, here's your host, Joel Godet. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. Back at it for another episode of the Play-By-Play Cast. Thanks, as always, for the subscribe, the stream, the download. If you have a second, the rating or review. Throw some stars our way on iTunes or wherever you're listening to this. Welcome into the pod. My name is Joel Gadette, and this is Play-By-Play Cast. It's the podcast about play-by-play broadcasters for play-by-play broadcasters hosted by a play-by-play broadcaster, a professional development podcast that dives into the tips, tricks, experience, stories, process, and preparations of some of the biggest and best play-by-play announcers in the business. Our guest today is Jesse Goldberg Strassler, who I've gotten to know a little bit over the last couple of years, because in the offseason, Jesse Goldberg Strassler is the voice of Central Michigan women's basketball. So the Chippewas play the Cardinals, and we cross paths a little bit that way, and we see each other in Cleveland for the Mid-American Conference Tournament and whatnot. Uh, but Jesse's a guy that has been on my radar as a broadcaster and, and as a, a peer in this industry uh, before I even got to Ball State, uh, and actually before he started doing the, the women's basketball games for Central Michigan as well. Because even before that, Jesse has been the voice of the Lansing Lugnuts in the Midwest League, the Class A affiliate of the Toronto Blue Jays. And uh, number one, he's fantastic at what he does and is a great wordsmith. Um, and that's the thing I think that, that I find most attractive about listening to him is just the way he's able to, to paint a picture and craft a picture and the enthusiasm uh, that comes along with that and the creativity that comes along with that. Uh, but when I very, the very first time I ever came across Jesse was one of the things we'll talk about on this podcast, something that he has become very well known for in broadcasting circles. And that is his recreation broadcast. He does it every year now. He did it originally out of necessity. We'll get into the whole origin of it. Uh, but he does one every year now where he does a recreation broadcast of a baseball game. The old school. Like, he can't see the game. He sits there with sound effects and somebody relays to him what happened. And he recreates the broadcast for you. Um, and it's really kind of cool. And uh, it's always intrigued me. So I-, I wanted to have Jesse on to talk a little bit about that. And then we also get into the wordsmith side of things because Jesse is also an author. He's the author of two books, The Baseball Thesaurus and The Football Thesaurus, which are both really good uh, broadcaster resources for you. You can find them. Uh, he'll tell you on the pod. You know, you just just Google uh, The Baseball Thesaurus or The Football Thesaurus. Uh, they're available on Amazon. Uh, but if you want to expand your vernacular, uh, your vocabulary, I think those are the same things, which is an ironic way to discover that. Um, but also just your understanding of the sports that we cover, uh, two really good resources for any broadcaster to check out. Um, and Jesse's just an interesting guy in general, like really wide ranging interests, uh, not just, and I, I feel like I connect with him on, on that level a little bit as, as acquaintances and friends, because like 
sports is part of my job and I love sports and I love playing sports and I love following them, but it's a part of me. Like I, I am equally as intrigued by trying to, you know, develop something in the kitchen that isn't a tasty recipe that that's a never ending quest. I have not yet captured. Uh, I'm equally as uh, enthralled with theater and musicals and things of that nature. Uh, Jesse is very much the same way in that he has broad interests. You know, he's a huge writer. He's, he's a thespian. He loves plays and acting and theater. Um, and that factors into to his broadcasting, who he is, his career, his career path, all those different things. So when I was thinking of people that would just be really interesting to have on this podcast and could lend really cool perspectives on this industry, Jesse has always been a guy that has been top of mind. So I'm glad that um, we're able to get him on the podcast here this week. Without further ado, let's dive into it. This is Jesse Goldberg Strassler of the Lansing Lugnuts. Oh, by the way, he's also seen Vladdy Jr. play. Vlad Guerrero Jr. is owned in 18% of ESPN Fantasy Leagues. He's in double A. We'll talk about that too. <laughs> A lot to get to. Jesse Goldberg Strassler here on the podcast. Uh, but let's start with Jesse Goldberg Strassler uh, on the minor league life. He did this podcast from his team hotel uh, in Beloit, Wisconsin. I was at my team hotel in Toledo, uh, Ohio. So uh, from one road trip hotel to another road trip hotel, where would we start our conversation? But talking about life on the road in minor league baseball. You know, it's actually a conversation we haven't had a lot on this pod. It was a fun one. Here's Jesse on Play by Play Cast. We are staying at the Roadway Inn, oh, that which is good. attached to the Road Dog. Both of those things sound like places you shouldn't be. <laughs> the West Michigan Whitecaps stayed here not too long ago. And they had a drug bust and a crack bust, uh, like the hour after they all checked in at two in the morning. Welcome to low A. Oh, my God. The <laughs> broadcaster was like, there was a woman knocking on my door and pleading to try to be let in. <laughs> um, <laughs> I feel like the team hotel should change. Uh, I feel like it should, too, especially because we're on hotel row. So all I've got to do is look down to my left and I see every other hotel under the sun. And I'm like, and we're at the road, dog. Cool. Uh, best places in the Midwest League, worst places in the Midwest League. Let's do a little um, road trip theater. OK, so if we can describe by either ballpark or by hotel or, or, or by, by food options, the restaurants around the hotel, right? Very all important. those different things. So South Bend, we stay at the Double Tree, which has free cookies, oh. has a great gym, walking distance to the ballpark. Oh, and, and it's across a really the street. Beautiful... Isn't it the one oh, that's across it's... the street from the old College Football Hall of Fame? Exactly. So the chocolate factory is right there, too. Exactly. Mm. And it used to be called La Peep, and now the owner of the restaurant has changed it, and it's all hers. And that's the best breakfast spot in the Midwest League. So I love South Bend. Worst spot. It's got to be the road dog. I'm not a fan of Lake County. I'm not a fan of the Red Roof Inn and staying with the Burger King and the gas station. Yeah, but at least you know what the Red Roof Inn is. Like, that's a chain. <laughs> yes, it is. That's true. But it again comes down to I love places to work at and I love places where you've got options to eat. And I have options to eat in Beloit. And the options are limited in Lake County. Does the, does the Roadway Inn have a gym, by the way? Uh, it does not. Uh, how kind of you to ask. <laughs> but you probably catch like the gym bus, though, don't you? 
Well, exactly. Yeah. So it all it all works out in the end. Um, yeah, I've never been in the Midwest League, so this is I I I don't know. I've only been to like three of its stadiums, so it's uh, Midwest League is a great broadcasters league and just a great league in general. It's got the history in the Western Division and the Eastern Division is highly modern. Best ballpark? Well, Dayton probably. Fort Wayne, baby, mm, Parkview true. Field. And I, look, Cooley Law School Stadium in Lansing is wonderful. So I feel like I should remove it because that would make me sound biased. I think we're great. Uh, great Lakes to me is a lot of fun. South Bend is a lot of fun. Over in the Western Division, I think Wisconsin's great. And uh, Quad Cities, when you're right on the Mississippi River, is wonderful. That's the one Western I've been to. So. Exactly. Um, yeah. What? Where was I going to go with that? Um I don't know. All right. Anyway, uh, from there, we'll, we'll, we'll gravitate to the, the normal topics of discussion, uh, <laughs> if, if that works. Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, how you got to where you got, uh, first and foremost, if we can go all the way back to the beginning. Um, I know you were a theater guy in high school. Yes. All state Maryland thespian, junior and senior year. <laughs> well, first off, what did you do? Like, what, what kinds of things did you act? Well, uh, my high school had a drama in the winter and a drama in the spring and a musical. And uh, so I guess drama in the fall and musical in the winter, drama in the spring. And I was in everything that I could. So I was in every show. And then we did a Shakespearean show. And so I was in that. And we did children's theater. And I was in that. And I was on the improv comedy team. Uh, best role that you had in all of that? Oh, man. Probably in Scapino, uh, that was just a blast. The old Italian romp. In Italian, please tell me in Italian. No, it was not. That's disappointing. <laughs> uh, but every show was so much fun. Whatever it was, whatever they'd pull out next to introduce to us, it was just a blast. You never knew what was around the corner coming next. Okay, so I want to come back to how that all influences kind of what you do today, and especially the improv comedy side of things. Um, but how do you go from thespian to uh, sports radio guy once you go to Ithaca for college? Well, I chose Ithaca in order to go into sports radio that I decided while I was in high school, what did I really wanted to do? What were my passions? And I decided I loved writing. I wanted to write books. And so I looked at colleges for creative writing programs. And I'm an enormous sports fan. I went to sleep every single night listening to whatever game was on the radio, whatever sport was in season. So I decided that sports broadcasting, that that I'm listening to, I want to do that. And so I looked at colleges for their sports broadcast programs. And in the end, I chose Ithaca for its sports radio over a different college for its creative writing program. How did that process go once you got there? Uh, diving into something that was new and, and saying, like, okay, this was the right choice. How quickly did you fall in love with it? Well, terrifying first, because <laughs> I've got no idea what I'm doing. And you're talking, talk about something where even though you've been talking for as long as you can remember, now you've got to change and re-examine the way that you talk. You've got to examine the way that you enunciate. You have to examine the way that you uh, space and pace your words and choose your words more carefully. The first week that I was there, there was an enormous meeting where they said, anybody who wants to be involved in Ithaca College Radio, come to this and sign up. And so I went and I was shy and I didn't know anybody. And they introduced first the music people, the people in charge of the radio station and deciding who would be the DJs. And then this guy went and he stood up there 
blonde hair, shortly clipped hair. He gave a big smile and he spoke into the microphone and his voice was this booming baritone. And he said, this is my real voice. His name was Seth Cantor and he was one of the two sports directors at the radio station. And he said, I'm here to help you if you want to get involved in sports. And now he's the voice of the Rockland Boulders. He's doing tons of things in New York. And he's only a year older than me. And that was hugely intimidating that this guy <laughs> with this incredible voice is saying, do you want to work in sports radio? Great. Talk to me. But from right from that, he said, uh, anybody wanted to work in sports, you had to first get involved in doing sports updates. So you signed up for a, what, a 5.15 a.m. and a 5.45 a.m. spot twice a week. And you would deliver your two-minute sports update. You'd go into the radio station at the college when it was still very dark. And it was Ithaca. So it was probably 20 degrees below zero. And that was my initial introduction to the, into sports radio. And you were were you better for that? So I didn't know Ithaca worked that way. Because um, it's very similar to the way Syracuse worked when I first got there. Except we only had to go once a week. So I got you on that one. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> Good for you. Yeah. Um, what was what was it like to start that way and to have that be your foot in the door? Boy, it sure pushed us right in the pool and said, sink or swim. So I know there were a lot of people who said, you know what? I actually don't want to do sports updates. <laughs> but uh, for me, this, it really felt like, hey, this is serious. Do you want to do it? And then they would do weekly air checks where every single update that I did, I had to record. And then I brought it in and either to Seth or to another older sports broadcaster, they would sit down, they'd listen to it and they'd tell me how I could work to improve. So it felt great. It was entirely student run. The adults were entirely out of it. There were no classes for sports broadcasting. And it felt like, do you want to do this? Because if you want to do it, you can become really good at this. I know there's a ton of different models, um, but I, I, I personally love that model just from the standpoint of all of those things uh, that you just mentioned as well. Uh, for somebody like you, too, because you're so cerebral with all of this uh, and you love the language side of it and you love the writing side of it. Um, that had to have been a big attraction to you from Jump Street as well with, hey, come in and do sports updates because of the fact that it kind of encompasses all of those things. And I was doing the things that I was listening to people doing on the radio growing up. The fact that I was doing what they were doing was amazing to me that I'd been listening to these sports updates. And now there I am saying Boston, New York last night going to extra innings and then and I'd cue the soundbite, and I've got a clip in the background. I was, I was standing next to the reel-to-reel, -reel, and we were getting these highlight reels where they'd say, clip one, Van Gundy talking about his team. And you would record it on the reel-to-reel, -reel, cut it, get the cart right or get the mini-disc right, and that way you'd bring it into the studio and have the DJ ready to cue it all up for you. It felt like I was big time. I think that that was the number one attraction was that I was doing what I had heard. And the number two attraction was, I love sports. I'm watching all these games the night before. I'm reading about them any way that I can. So being able to share this, being able to tell people, hey, here's what went on in the NHL playoffs last night. I'm really excited about this. Let me share it with you. That made this just wonderful. For all those people out there, by the way, that think young people don't know how to work with old technology and that we're all like young whippersnappers, by the way, uh, I used carts and Jesse just talked about editing reel to reel. So... Uh, I guess feathers in our cap, maybe. I don't know how that uh, works. It shows me, Joel, it's about how quickly technology has changed. Yeah, that's true. I don't that's think crazy. people understand 
technology has come a long way in a hurry. Yep. We used mini discs too. Exactly. Oh my God. My mini disc recorder, I bought it everywhere. I had my mini cassette recorder. Where we are right now, this was not all that far away. And yet it feels like it's a century away. And it makes it kind of nerve wracking to think about what 2028 is going to look like. Uh, so, well, but I tell everybody when people ask me what skills they need, I say, have the skill to learn what's coming down the pike. I have the ability to adapt. True. hundred percent true. Cause I, I mean, I think I've probably gone through that already in, in, in a short amount of time professionally. Um, how'd you get into play by play? When did that all start coming together uh, for you? Uh, both at Ithaca and then beyond once you started to venture out into the real world? There was the hierarchy at Ithaca. Okay, so sports updates, number one. Next up, you had to produce. You had to be on the board for a football game or a basketball game. Once you've produced, now you can host a pregame show or a halftime show or a postgame show. You've done that, cool. Now you can go on the online-only station, which was basically the freshman, the sophomores working your way in, and do play-by-play for a game. So the online only station did the football game and the big time radio station did the football game. And same thing with basketball. Interesting. Where you would get that chance. To, it was like JV radio. <laughs> and then after that, you would work your way up. So they had big time auditions to be the voices of the football team. But every other sport, you would get your chance. There were so many basketball games and we did all the men and all the women's basketball games. You would work your way up through the women's basketball games, through the men's basketball games, pregame, halftime, and off you went. First color commentary. Okay, you got color commentary under your belt. Now you can do play-by-play. And we would have huge sports radio meetings where the sports director would say, all right, we've got these games coming up. First, this game. People would raise their hands and the sports director would look around and go, you and you. And then they'd send out the assignment sheet. And Joel, I was terrible on uh, color, terrible on play-by-play, terrible on hosting. I'd never done this before. And man, did it knock me in the face. But the more that I did it, the more games I got under my belt, I, I, I got better through reps, just pure reps. And then you didn't get into it directly out of college, though, did you? So I graduated in 2004, and before that, I was interning at WBAL, first shadowing. Then they had me covering the Orioles in 2003 that summer. But I graduated, and I didn't get anything. I applied to any job that I could. I didn't get an interview. I just got nothing but rejection letters back. And, yeah, that first year, what I did was audio description, where I went around the Washington, D.C. area, like to Jesus Christ Superstar, and people would come in, they'd get their headsets, and I would describe the musical to them. That's wild. Oh, that okay. was my first job. Tell me, uh, tell me more about that. I didn't even know that was a job. Um, so, so what happened? <laughs> so people who are visually impaired, they come to, let's say, there's a dance recital or any other sort of artistic performance, and they can't see it, or they, they have trouble seeing parts of it, and so they would pick up their headset And I would be sitting in the back or I'd be sitting off to some side where they could not see me. And I would describe for them what would happen. So, for example, Jesus Christ Superstar, I'd say a man comes in from the left wearing a white beard and white shirt. and Here's how he looks. And then quickly I'd shut up because he's got to sing now. And I don't want to talk over him singing. But I would be doing the play by play of the musical. That's incredible. How did you find out that that was a job? 
I was referred to them. Somebody <laughs> said, hey, uh, here's somebody that I just heard about, and he said that he needs help. His name was Joel Snyder, doing audio description in the D.C. area. And I went to him, and once again, I got my socks knocked off because that's something that I thought, oh, I can do this. And he put on Return of the Jedi, and he said, all right, describe this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going, what are you, what? And he goes, imagine if somebody is blind and they can't see what's going on, describe it to them. And so I'm trying desperately to describe this, the exploits of Luke Skywalker. But do it while there's no dialogue going on. Do it while there's, well, you still have the sound because they can still hear the audio of the movie. So yes, yeah, you have to make sure any that dialogue. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's insane. And I could not do it. I tried really hard, but man, was that tough. How long did it take to be like, okay, I'm not going to get fired from this job? Well, it, it took a while because I'm thinking this is, especially the actors complained that I was talking too loud during the show. So I had to learn, okay, stand over here, talk a lot quieter. I still have this where during a baseball game last night, it was a quiet game, quiet crowd. And the pitcher's charting said, hey, we could hear you broadcasting. So that still does interfere in a way. But yes, there I am off in the wings trying desperately to get in the words before the actors start to sing. What was the most fun show that you dictated? And, and what was the one that you were like, oh, my God, I got to do this one again? <laughs> I think the piano recital was really difficult. Oh, God. But Jesus Christ Superstar was awesome. Yeah, that's cool. what, what do you say to a piano recital? Timmy is there. I described... He's walking slowly toward the piano. <laughs> He's added a phone exactly. book to the bench so that he can reach the keys. Exactly. He raises his hands. That's awesome. Um, okay, so now at that point, you have that on your belt. You got into baseball with Brockton. I was told by uh, I was told by somebody to go to uh, the winter meetings. They said that's where you can get a job in baseball. Good luck with that. And so I had no idea what the winter meetings was. And I got my ticket and I got uh, my my admission to the job fair with how much that costs, which is a lot of money. <laughs> and, and I was in Anaheim, California with tons and tons and tons of resumes and cassette tapes as my resume demo amidst all of the slews of everybody else who looks exactly like me wearing their nicest suits, looking terrified. And I got a couple of interviews, one of which coincidentally I interviewed with Ben Wagner who is the voice of the Lakewood Blue Claws for his number two job. And I never heard back from him. And now the two of us are tight as ever. And he's the new voice of the Blue Jays. But there was a guy. What there did he named say when Dan you told him Le that story, by the way? Oh, my. Well, when I tell it to him, I always felt like I came across arrogant and he came across very nervous in the interview. So <laughs> when I told him, I was like, you must have thought that I was a jerk. Also, why didn't you hire me? <laughs> Um, but there was a guy named Dan Lev and I sat down and it was the posted position was the Charleston River Dogs. And Dan shook my hand and he said, Jesse, I'm with the St. Paul Saints. This position is kind of Charleston, but really it's also the Brockton Rocks, but they don't allow independent league teams here. So this is not all quite on the up and up. How's it going? <laughs> It's good that this wasn't happening in Vegas because you would have thought something like sinister was happening. <laughs> well, he asked me things like, Jesse of the Seven Dwarves, which one are you? Stop. And it. he asked me, of all of the of all the TV shows in the world, which one could I get you the DVD box set? <laughs> and I'm going, what is this interview? 
at the very end, he said, so this job really isn't a baseball job. It's an office job. How do you like working in a cubicle? Is it okay with you if you've never seen a baseball game? And I said, no, and no. So I'm thinking <laughs> I bombed this interview. But well, then a couple of weeks afterward, and I'm thinking I haven't heard anything. I'm not going to get any jobs from the winter meetings. Nothing was extended. The people that I met there are all getting job offers extended. And I get a call first from Jim Lucas in Brockton. And then I get a call from a gentleman named Dave Raymond, who says, Jesse, they're bringing me in as the new voice of the Brockton Rocks. And I was told I need to get to know you. And now Dave is the voice of the Texas Rangers. So how weird things all work out. But they liked me and they hired me to be basically the studio host. I was the call-in show host for after Brockton Rocks games for all the Brockton Rocks fans to There's uh, no stop. People don't people don't call in about Brockton Rocks games. We had call after oh call after God. call <laughs> where I'd say we need to get better starting pitching. And people would say, "Yeah, and I think that our shortstop is bringing us down." And I would just let people who calls about an independent team. (laughs) That was my first job in baseball. That's incredible. Um, What's it like working with Dave Raymond circa 2005, by the way? Oh, my God, is he the best? First, the man sounded so easy, and I thought he looked exactly like Peyton Manning. If you see his face, I was convinced that he looked like he was right out of the Manning family. (laughs) What he would do on the air he was smooth and his voice was gorgeous, but also hilarious. For example, he's calling a game against the Quebec Capitals, the Capital de Quebec. And they went into his broadcast booth to get his order during the pregame show. And he was first aghast at this and trying to tell them, look, I can't talk now. I'm previewing this game. I'm talking about the game. And then he said, you know what? Let's place my order on the air. And he had her go through all of the menu items and he placed his order as the batter is stepping in. The man was baseball radio genius. That's actually quite tremendous. Um, what'd you learn from being in a box, not being able to see anything, listening to him uh, for a year? Well, first, what I learned was the day in day out process. And I'm getting my food each day and I'm doing my game notes each day and I'm doing tarp pulls and I'm doing whatever else they need me to do for the Brockton Rocks. I was the number three guy because they had a guy named Matt Miola who was doing their other broadcasts. They had two different separate radio broadcasts for the Brockton Rocks. No, stop it. Yes. Okay. What, oh, was, yes. what was different between the two of them? They were on different radio stations. What? They had two different home radio affiliates. Dave did it on the Brockton station, and Matt did it on the Quincy station. That doesn't make any sense. I mean, I... That's what they did. Okay. (laughs) That's a different way to do a radio network. I think I'm blowing (laughs) your mind here. Yeah, they had two different number one broadcasters. Instead of putting our broadcast on multiple stations, we will put multiple broadcasts on multiple stations. Not only that... They had Matt broadcasting because they had only one broadcast booth. He broadcasted from the third base side, I think over the dugout. And so the manager could hear every single thing he said. Oh, Lord. I don't know if I would want that job. Well, it was dicey. (laughs) I can't imagine what Tom is doing making a pitching change here. (laughs) He went from there to the Sioux Falls Canaries. And now I think he's doing great things in Chicago. But Matt was my first partner when it came time to do uh, our game recreation broadcast, Uh which we were signed by Jim Lucas. It was very much Brockton was a let's see what we can do to promote the team. So, for example, we had a Curt Schilling bobble ankle doll. 
And Jim, the team president, said to me, Jesse, we need to drum up interest. Sign on as a fake name and all of these Boston Red Sox fan sites and start talking up everything that the Brockton Rocks are doing. And be like, hey, I'm a Red Sox fan. This team is on to something. How awesome is all of this? That's so minor league baseball, and I love it. <laughs> So when you say, what did you learn that first year? Yes, there was all that I learned from just listening to Dave Raymond call games, but there was everything else that I learned just about my first summer in baseball. I, I actually kind of love like, the, the thing I miss most about minor league baseball is that mentality that doesn't necessarily fly in college athletics because um, there's a certain buttoned upness that you have to have. Um, yeah, oh, we are buttoned <laughs> down. <laughs> um, let's talk about the game recreation because uh, you, you brought it up. So I, I want to go there. Um, in terms of doing the first one, sure, uh, I, I, I like that story, but I love the Windy City 2008 story um, where you were basically forced to do it because you had no other option. Uh, tell me how 2008 came to be and why on earth you went from like, oh, I can't have a broadcast today to, you know what, why don't I just do it in the office and get an intern to run me the information and I'll recreate it? Well, let me bridge the gap for you, too, because 0607, I'm in Montgomery, Alabama, and I'm working under Jim Toko, who had worked under Jim Lucas and Dave Raymond before back in Charleston. So he knows the guys. That was part of what led to me getting the job. And he found out that I did a game recreation broadcast. And Toko had said, I want to do one here. And he piled up tons of 1920s and 1930s slang. And he practiced his 1930s broadcaster's voice where he would declare that something was the bee's knees and it was beautiful. And then we never, ever did it. <laughs> so I've already got it on my mind that, hey, the game recreation is still a part of something that I can do at any point. We just haven't done it, but I've done it once already. In 2008, the thunderstorm goes through and the team that we're taking on is the, the road team in the Frontier League. They've got no broadcaster. So they've got no broadcast. All I've got to take care of is mine. All I need is the internet. I'm an internet-only broadcast. And I need to call the game, in my opinion. I, I can't not call the game. And the fact that the front office still had internet, and the fact that, you know, maybe I could call the game from here, but I can't see, that set the gears to turning. And and you know what? Let's Let's do this game recreation broadcast for a second time. Where did you pull an intern from to say, like, listen, run me stuff back and forth? It wasn't an intern. I had a number two broadcaster oh, named okay. Nick Kovach. Nick was, well, first, let me tell you about him. He was a meteorology major at uh, at Valparaiso, where he had a good friend named Adam Amin, who dropped by for never a broadcast one day. Yeah, never heard right? of him. <laughs> and I was having dizzy spells that day, and so I gave Adam the broadcast. So there's this guy. I think Adam was the number two broadcaster for Gary Southshore at the time. And now, boom, blowing up. So many different fun things that happened. Nick was my guy. Nick was my number two broadcaster. And I said, you message me, and then I'll message you, and then you message me. We'll go back and forth. And then as it turned out, it, it was a no hitter. So what do you like? How do you do a game recreation? What do you what do you do? What do you say? How do you make the noise? I know you have crowd noises that you will pipe in for certain events. Like, uh, give me like the whole setup of how it all works and how it comes to be. Um, I guess both in a pinch back when you did it in 08, but also now that you actually plan to do it, uh, how you set things up differently. Well, it begins with on the computer. You uh, and and you. I mean, me. I record the stadium sound. I record 
from a random, normal, totally wonderful game. I just set my recorder going and I record one hour, two hours of stadium sound. Then I listen back to that and I grab sound where it just sounds like the crowd is murmuring the entire time. And you've got an organ in the background. You've got whatever stadium sounds occur. I grab that and that way that forms the bed of everything going on. So that way you have that constant hum of the crowd and it feels like you're really at the ballpark. You can hear people chattering. And then over that, I snip out all of those moments where the crowd applauds. So I've got small applause here. I've got bigger applause there. I've got uh, the PA announcer announcing each name for the guy on the team. So that way I can immediately pop that in via Windows Media Player. I just click on it. Boom. There's my PA announcement of this player coming up to home plate. If there's a boo, if there's something that happened that the crowd didn't like, I click that over it too. So I've got two different audio things going on layered underneath me. Then I've got the messages coming in via whether it's been Facebook Messenger in the past, whether it's been slips of paper, whatever is the way that I've got people letting me know what's going on. They're texting me and I've got a baseball glove and a baseball that I slam the ball into the glove to simulate either a swing and a miss or a ball that's taken. You know, here's the pitch. Wham! A little high. Ball one. A fastball. One ball and no strikes. And then I've got two baseball bats that I crack together. Back in the day, I was using mini bats. And then I decided that that crack was a little bit too tinny, a little bit too high pitched of a sound. So now I use actual baseball bats that I crack together. And that simulates the ball hitting the bat. How do you have enough hands? <laughs> uh, well, I know what's going to happen before it happens. Also so true, I, yeah. <laughs> so let's see. I'll be talking about whoever. I'll be talking about this guy. Johnson is out of who knows where. He's out of Doylestown, Pennsylvania. And I see coming up that he fouled this pitch off. So I've got the two baseball bats in my hand. Williams kicks, fires, crack, spray down the left side, foul wide of third, etc. One ball and one strike. And then I put those two bats down and I look for what's coming next. And if it's a swing and a miss or if it's a ball taken, I grab the glove and the baseball and I get ready for the next pitch. Uh, how does it go? Like, how, how long did it take you to get, I don't want to say get used to it, but like, how many times did you have to do it? Or how deep into the first time that you did it, did you feel like... I'm doing something that that is cool and working as opposed to like I'm giving this a go and oh my gosh, it's it's a train wreck. It really was a train wreck. I felt in Brockton and that's that game in 2008 in Windy City did not feel like a train wreck. That time it felt like I was doing service. I was doing public service, cool. delivering the game because I had to deliver the game. And then in Lansing the very next year when I decided that I was going to continue this on as my own personal tradition, then it became a train wreck again. <laughs> <laughs> and each year I have moments of panic because I miss something. For example, I'll suddenly have a ground out to third scoring a run, but it comes on two outs. So what out did I miss? Because that's the third out. How is this guy going to come in? Or wild pitch scoring a guy from third base, but I've only got the guy at second base. <laughs> oh, well, because somebody advances on a throw. Maybe you didn't see it. One of those. Exactly. Like have no detail. idea. Wait, there was a pitching change. When did this guy come into the game? Or a guy leading off an inning is not the batter that I expect to lead off an inning. So how did I go wrong? So, yeah, there are moments of panic throughout. How has it made you better when you can see Ma a game? Because 
it makes me think about all the different ways that I need to paint the picture. It makes me think about all the different ways I need to describe the batter, the pitcher, the defense, the coaches, the fans. How does everyone look? How's the weather? How's the ballpark? When I can't see it, I realize how much the listener can't see. How do you describe those things when you can't see it? Uh, will you will you ask for messages of what does the crowd look like today? Where's the sunset? I mean, how mu- what kind of detailed information are you getting? Or are you just getting the bare bones in a recreation and kind of have to, I want to say lie, but kind of have to fill uh, with your imagination about certain other things? I see it in my mind's eye. So Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is walking up to home plate. I can see the way that he walks and the way that he grabs the barrel of the bat in his right hand and scrolls with the knob of the bat, his message uh, in the dirt of the home plate circle before he wipes it away with his left hand and then climbs in from the right side. I can see the way that the pitcher stares in for the sign and presses his glove up against his chest before arching his back backward and taking a very deep breath before he lets it fly. I've seen these guys before. I know the batters. I know the pitchers. I know the way that the third baseman turns his back to the play and looks up toward the stands before getting ready once again. And so as long as I can see everything in my memory, I can still paint that picture. Okay, what comes next? I'm locked in. (laughs) (laughs) Well, then that's really good. What will happen, Joel, is that there will be some moments where nothing has happened, where I've brought myself and I try to lag behind at least a pitch or two because I don't want to catch up and go, oh, the the legendary story is Ronald Reagan with the ticker tape uh, machine breaking down and him either having 21 foul balls in a row or him having a dog running on the field and distracting everyone. (laughs) Matt, my colleague in 2005 in Brockton, it broke, and so he decided, you know what, let me have an argument right here. Let me have the manager kicking dirt all over the umpire. So it really is, okay, what do I do now, and how do I use this time? How do I, where do I go into depth so that I'm not simply saying the pitch result, the pitch result? Do you do it, you don't do it in the press box and, like, turn the other way, do you? Do you, you go to the office or something like that nowadays? What I do in terms of, in order to connect with all the equipment, what I've had to do is because I've gone by ISDN oh, yes. all the years yeah. leading up to last year, or I've gone by something that has anchored me, that has tethered me. And I've asked, where's a good place for me to be? Because I don't mind it being a public area where people can just watch me talking into the air. So what I've done is in our press box, you can see the field, but only from the booths. That's where you have the window. And in the open press box area, you can't see anything. You're just in this open area with all the booths with their closed doors. So I've done it in the open area while the people messaging me have sat in the broadcast booth. That makes sense. That's it, it, It's fascinating to me. Uh, and I think it's really cool that you do it. Um, so wh- when is it this year, by the way? I haven't chosen the exact date, but I know that it's always in August because I'm I'm paying tribute to Harold Arlen, and it's always on a day that's not a big night. It's not, let's say, on a Thursday or a Friday or on a Saturday. It's a Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday where it's nice and innocent. But the way that I see it is I'm very big on tradition. I'm very big in remembering how things are passed down. And so now, far from when it started, when it was purely promotional, and then how it continued in 2008, when it was purely out of, hey, we need to do something to get this broadcast on, now I see it as just entirely traditional. I want to talk about... uh something else that's really big with you as well, because if there are two things I think you're known for as a broadcaster, it is A, the recreation, uh, but B, the authoring side of things. 
uh, and the language side of things. Um, so let's sell some books right now if we can. Um, let's talk, <laughs> let's talk about the baseball thesaurus and um, what that journey was like for you putting that book together in terms of what you learned, uh, what you saw, and and how it's made you a better broadcaster. In 2005, so I started up with Brockton. And until you do something, you don't realize what you don't know. And I'm trying to broadcast baseball games, and I'm describing every single thing the same way. Every single hard hit ball is drilled. Every single runner is racing to second base. And it just isn't working for me. So I decide, at the very least, I need to come up with a list of synonyms. I'm reading about famous broadcasters and seeing they did the same thing as me. So now I've got my lists, and they're expanding, and they're expanding, and I'm having just a blast with this. And fast forward five years, as I've really got a great document going now with every single possible thing I could have and asking people to add to it, I showed it to Tom Gothier in Bowling Green at the time. And I said, what do you think? And with him and with other broadcasters that I showed, they go, this is great. This is something that you can really expand on, maybe turn into a book. I'm thinking, hey, you know, maybe I can. And I sent it to a literary agent, just this document of probably only about 8,000 words at the time. Only only 8,000. Only 8,000. <laughs> and the literary agent immediately got back to me and said, Jesse, this is great. I'm really enjoying this. Let, let's see if we can actually turn this into something. So he asked me to double the amount of words. He asked me to put in more stories, more explanations. He said, can you find an illustrator? So I found an illustrator to do illustrations, put everything together, put together the packet for him. He said, great, I'm now going to send it out to tons of publishers. Let's try to get you paid. And it was filling my mind with all sorts of amazing dollar signs. And then a couple of months later, he got back to me, he goes, well, Nobody out there is biting, and also I've accepted a new job somewhere else. Oh. So good luck with this. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So my heart is just going, whomp. Uh, like the price is right. <laughs> and yes, yeah, so I'm stuck with this document thinking, well, what am I going to do with this now? And I reached out to a number of different people just to say, what do you think? Uh, and John Lott up in Toronto connected me with Dirk Hayhurst. And Dirk Hayhurst said, well, I think this is kind of boring, but what I think you should do is compile a list of slang that all the baseball players use. That would be fun. So I started doing that. And then I contacted Kevin Reichardt with uh, Ballpark Digest, who, boy, I'd gotten in touch with him a couple of years back. And I just said, what do you think about this? And he loved it. And he said, can you expand it even more? Maybe we can turn this into a publishable book. And so I worked on it, worked on it, worked on it, and kept on sending it back and forth to him. And that's how in 2012, seven years after I started, it became a book. Now, uh, what did what'd you learn along the way? Like what what type of terminology do you use now that you did not use originally? You know what? That That's funny that you say that because probably the answer would be something unconscious. It would be things that I've now added that I don't even realize that I've added. Um, because now I've got it. 
I, I, I didn't create the book because I considered myself a wordsmith. I created the book because I needed it because during commercial breaks, I can say, boy, I've said he fires it to first base way too much. What else can I say? Oh, I can say he whips it to first base. I can say he did. He, he guides it over there. He delivers it all those different, more specific ways to describe whatever I'm seeing. So I think that the answer would come probably in listening to one of my broadcasts where I'd go, Oh, how about that? I said that. That's interesting. That I think for us as broadcasters, we want words to be such a part of our language that it comes out almost as tongue muscle memory that we're not even thinking that we're just talking. Uh, what's your favorite word in there or favorite words in there? I've always loved lambaste or wallop <laughs> in terms of what, when it comes to a guy just thundering the baseball tattoo to me is great. So I, I'm in love with those verbs, but I'm also in love with all of the different synonyms for, let's say, a fastball. I've always loved cheddar or cheese or the radio ball. I've really enjoyed that a changeup is a dead fish. I always thought that that was beautifully ev evocative and I don't know. I enjoy learning, especially as the book has grown, all those different ways to describe the field that I didn't know about. Talking to groundskeepers and saying, tell me about all of your different terms for the diamond. And so now knowing that the pathway from the pitcher's mound to home plate that you might see in Detroit, that that is the keyhole or that is the runway. That to me is wonderful. You know, how do you do all of that and still manage to not be too highbrow, if that makes sense. Um, and I, I mean it from the standpoint of being colorful and 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 being as descriptive as possible, but not not putting off the listener at home who's going like, what are these words? Or like I'm lost or I'm confused or why is he keep throwing a dead fish? Um, and, and and finding the right balance. And I guess this goes to the artistry of what we do uh, and, 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 and being able to craft it the right way. Um, but where is the balance to you in terms of using the right terminology to be flowery, but not too flowery, if that makes sense? Yes. I would argue that it's all about who you're talking in service of. If I am talking in order to broadcast the game so that my listener enjoys it, I think I'll be okay for the large amount of listeners. It's when I talk for my own enjoyment, that is what alienates my audience. Like so, like, like how? I think that, and I'm pretty sure you can find writers who you say to yourself, this writer is writing only because they think that they are great at writing. Yeah, no, or, okay, that's fair. Have you ever listened to somebody talk, and this isn't even on a broadcast, have you just been around somebody where you go, this person just enjoys hearing themselves speak. 100%. <laughs> and so for us as a broadcaster, I would say that what separates us, what stops us from becoming that way is we maintain our connection to our listener. We show our listener that we care. We show our listener that, look, I'm going to deliver what I see. You're going to enjoy it. And sometimes those words slip past and the people don't even don't even recognize it because they are so locked in with our broadcast. What's been rewarding to you about doing the book or books? There's a football one as well. Um, in terms of, I don't know, do you hear from broadcasters? Do broadcasters get in touch with you and say, like, Jesse, I read this and it's been unbelievably helpful to me? Um, and I have yes. to imagine that makes you feel pretty good. Oh, my gosh, yes, because I created it for myself because I needed it. <laughs> and so it's gratifying to hear that other people have said, this book helps me out, too. I bring it everywhere. I keep it in the booth. 
that makes me feel great. What else do you want to do? I mean, like, I know you love writing. Do you want to expand on the, the author side of things? Oh, yeah. Every single winter, every off season, I spend it writing and writing and writing. And it's very similar to broadcasting, where we'll broadcast a game, we'll record it, we'll listen back to it and go, hmm, need to improve this. This sounded good. Well, writing is so similar. There's so much that I write that I go, this is no good. Or I'll say, I like this paragraph. And so there are constant projects that are works in motion that who knows if they'll amount to anything. But it's the act of writing itself. It's the ideas that I'm trying to express. The same thing as the broadcast, where there's something that I'm working towards. And who knows if I can ever get it right for that instance of time. But I derive so much enjoyment from it. Even non-baseball stuff? Like, I mean, what, are, what, what types of things do you like to dive into? It's amazing to me that my, my first two books are what reference nonfiction books because I love reading fiction. <laughs> I love reading mysteries because I always felt growing up that a mystery rewarded you for getting to the end because the ending to a mystery had to be the best part. I never thought about I it. Loved that way. Re I loved like reading. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, there are things that you'll either read or a movie that you'll watch where you'll go, this beginning is amazing. And it has to be because the beginning has to sell you to keep on going with it. But then the ending just peters out and you go, they lost steam or they, they didn't know how to end it. And that's no good. The mystery, they have to start it by going, who did it? Who is the murderer? And how do we reveal this? And that's what makes it awesome. So I've long, long, long tried to figure out how to master writing a mystery. I love uh, middle grade fiction because it just goes and skims right along and you're done before you know it. And you don't have to stop yourself for five pages for a philosophical dissertation about something. You can just say, here's what happened. Let's move on. Uh, and anything else that's quick moving like that about people and about interactions. I love humanity. Where do you want to go from a, a baseball standpoint too, in addition to being an author? Um, is, uh, well, I guess what's the, what's the next step for you in terms of broadcasting? And, um, I don't know. I, I don't, is, is it with baseball or is it, I know you do basketball on the side too. Uh, and, and you do uh, a phenomenal run to the sweet 16 this year uh, with the central Michigan <laughs> Chippewas. Uh, it was me and Presley Hudson. I hit some crucial three pointers. She didn't travel at all. Um, <laughs> uh, we what, did travel to Spokane. I'll tell you that. This is true. This is true. Uh, what What was it like? Uh, what's it like being a part of that? And kind of where does your heart lie long term in broadcasting? With the writing and with the broadcasting, there was a very important conversation I had with Jason Benetti, where he said to me, "What validates you?" because I was thinking, okay, is it the job? Is it where I want to work? And he said, is it the essence? And really what validates is, is the calling of the game. The calling of the game is the validation for what we do. That I love to broadcast baseball and broadcast basketball or broadcast football takes so much pleasure in this and learning about the art and the craft of it and perpetually trying to hone that craft and learn the latest idiosyncrasies, the latest nuances, so that I can do it better. Whatever comes of it as I move forward, as I'm learning how to better myself and how to better deliver the game, who knows what opportunities might open up along the way. And it's the same thing with writing. As I learn to be a better writer, and as I produce what I hope to be better and better content, who knows what doors might open up. 
but it's got to be the essence of it that validates it rather than the job title of it. Um, and then for Central Michigan basketball, it's the same thing with the Lansing Lugnuts, that I've been very fortunate to be surrounded by great people, that the Toronto Blue Jays and that Central Michigan University, the coaching staff and the players alike at each spot, the people are awesome. They're selfless, they have great work ethic, they're kind, and they're really funny in addition to being very smart. And that when you surround, you're surrounded by people who are working hard and they're pleasant to be around makes life really fun. Jesse, that's a really good place to end it. But I do have to ask uh, before I let you go, um, why do 15 percent of fantasy owners in ESPN leagues have Vladdy Jr. on their team right now? Because the man's going to be a superstar. He's in double A. <laughs> the man is going to be whether you want to say that he's going to be Manny Ramirez or Miguel Cabrera or Albert Pujols or whatever dominant right-handed batter you can think of. And I think about Manny or I think about Cabrera because he's big and he's chubby and he's goofy <laughs> and he just, wherever you go, you see him with a huge smile, poking fun and messing with somebody. But the guy is just a hitting terminator where you figure out how to get him out. And the next pitch, you suddenly can't get him out that way. He's 19 years old and he is a hitting machine. Blue Jays are going to be pretty good with he and Bo, aren't they? I, I'm still trying to figure out what kind of ball player Bo is going to be. Uh, what I was thinking at first was maybe an Ian Kinsler type, and we'll see how high his ceiling becomes. But Vladdy is something else. <laughs> he he uh, just from the home run he hit in Montreal uh, looks like he's a lot of fun to watch. So it'll be uh, it'll be interesting to see as as he develops. Um, hey, if I that, oh, go ahead. <laughs> That's the home run where you don't see is everything else where he's just a horse out of the stable dashing around the bases with reckless abandon, which is hilarious. Or when Bo is settling under a pop up on the left side of the diamond and then 10 feet to the right, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is catching an imaginary pop up. <laughs> the guy is just joy personified. I love that. Uh, if people want to catch Lugnuts games uh, or if they want to buy the books, uh, how do they do it? For the book, go to August Publications. That's the publisher. Buy it right from there. That way they know, hey, look at this, This all this great interest. And it's the baseball thesaurus or the football thesaurus. The nice thing is, type it into Google. It's likely going to come up first. And then with Lansing Lugnuts, it's lansinglugnuts.com. That is Jesse Goldberg-Strassler joining us here on Play by Playcast. I did not know it was a job. And it is thoroughly intriguing to me. That there are people at theaters that dictate to the visually impaired what's happening on stage in between singing. There's no way you can do it at Les Mis. Like, you got to be real good at Les Mis. There's nowhere to talk. It's just song the whole time. Like, how am I supposed to get in that Jean Valjean's on stage? No, he's still singing. <laughs> it's, a, it's a really cool job. And I kind of think in a lot of ways it probably helps you be a better play-by-play broadcaster subconsciously just from the timing abilities that you pick up and the ways to be uh, as descriptive as possible, as quickly as possible, and as efficiently as possible. Um, I don't know if that's the immediate connection you would jump to, but it, it's got to help. Really cool. And that's something I didn't know about Jesse, really, before we sat down uh, to do this this interview. The recreation stuff is also really cool. Uh, I would say I would like to try that at some point in my career. 
but I just feel like it would go horribly wrong for me. So I'm not quite sure. One day. We'll see. If I'm ever in a situation where there's no internet in the press box and I have no other choice, we might do that. We shall see. And buy the book. Uh, Do go buy the book. Baseball Thesaurus, Football Thesaurus. You can Google them. They are both available on Amazon. Uh, Jesse's an awesome guy. Uh, Obviously put a ton of work into it. Um, Support him and get better at your craft. It's a a two-for-one on that one. So, again, check out the books. Baseball Thesaurus, Football Thesaurus. Available on Amazon. You can Google them. And uh, you can get them on Jesse's website as well. Uh, That'll do it, though, for us on this edition of the pod. We've got some really good ones coming up over the next several weeks. Uh, Spiro Didis will be joining us. Uh, he's doing the virtual reality broadcast right now, the Western Conference Finals. So that's cool. Uh, we're going to talk about that uh, at some point over the next couple of weeks with Spiro Ditas and uh, Mark Champion, voice of the Detroit Pistons on radio. He'll be with us too. Uh, Ball State grad, Muncie, Indiana native. So we'll, we'll reminisce about uh, where he's from and, and where I am right now. Uh, a lot of cool interviews coming up and uh, looking forward to having you back here next Friday. Uh, find us online at PXPCast. You can hit me up on email, J-G-O-D-E-T-T at BSU.edu. When we come to you next week for this podcast, I will be in Rio de Janeiro, CrossFit regional broadcasts. By the way, if you want to check it out, uh, CrossFit uh, website, games.crossfit.com, Facebook, probably on YouTube, and there's some stuff that gets broadcast with CBS Sports Network as well. Uh, I'm not yet sure the whole rundown of what goes where and when. Uh, but any of those platforms, check it out. CrossFit Regionals next week. Uh, I'm looking forward to it, and uh, I'll be coming your way from Rio for this episode uh, a week from now. In the meantime, we're out of time. The music's been playing. I gotta go. Uh, we are out. This is Play by Playcast. I'm Joel Gadet. Talk to you next week from Brazil.